Oh, what a wonderful job the musicians have done all week long. And some of these songs I've never heard before, but they're great songs. Uh, great songs of testimony. What a, what a tremendous message. Uh, Brother Jason, where are you? you? There you are. What a tremendous, thank you for that. That really helped me tonight. Um, I, I, excellent. How many, uh, by the way, did not uh, receive one of my handouts? Would you raise your hand tonight? <laughs> What's up with the guy that makes the rest of the preachers look bad? You know what I'm talking about? That is the cardinal rule, okay? But then I got to thinking, you had a rock in front of the pulpit, and praise is usually music. So basically, you had rock music. That was your illustration. Rock music was your illustration tonight. Thank you. <laughs> I know, it was a subliminal message. Like I, no, it was... All kidding aside, what a tremendous um, way to, uh, to start our service tonight. Praising the Lord. Excellent. Uh, I, whenever somebody does a handout, do you do this? When, when, you, when it becomes obvious they're starting every word with the same letter, then you try to guess. Like, you kept me guessing tonight. Like, I was getting everyone wrong, okay? I, I really was. But uh, excellent, excellent message. Hope you had a good afternoon. We uh, gathered uh, some of the pastors for, for lunch and fellowship. We had a super time, uh, honestly. Had a super time together. And then uh, did a, a little podcast before the, church, before the service tonight. And now uh, this service and fellowship, uh, it just goes by so quickly. But the fellowship is wonderful. And I, I do appreciate your, your faithfulness to the Lord. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Daniel tonight. It's a very familiar passage of scripture, and I think you'll find a very familiar verse, but, but I really believe that this would be uh, a truth that will help all of us tonight. So Daniel chapter number one in your Bible, and then just keep your Bible open as always. Daniel chapter number one, and I'm going to read for us uh, just a few verses and then uh, have a word of prayer and then talk to you tonight for a few minutes about men who make a difference. And when I say men, uh, I mean uh, men and women and teenagers, people, really, who make a difference, a people of influence. What does it mean to influence for the cause of Christ in a real way? Look at Daniel chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, this was one of the sons of Josiah, but he was an evil man. The king of Judah came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. This was 605 B.C., 605. And the, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God. So the temple of God, the great Solomonic temple, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of Babylon, a very evil man, to attack Jerusalem. And they took some of the vessels, some of the actual vessels used in worshiping God from the temple of God. I mean, how sacrilegious is that? that? That was what Habakkuk feared. Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah, a contemporary of Zephaniah. And Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Jeremiah had been preaching to God's people. 
And Habakkuk had actually been complaining to God, God, how could you possibly use the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to judge us? Lord, you're better than that. You're better than that, Lord. You're you're not going to use evil people to judge people less evil uh, than they are. Lord, you're better than that. We're better than that. And God had to show Habakkuk, no, sometimes I use some strange means to get my people's attention. God loves you enough. God loves you enough to use some very strange ways to get your attention. So what happens in verse number two, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. See the small g? And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God, almost as if to say, my God is bigger than your God. Almost to say, my God is more important than your God. Because I take your God's stuff and I put your God's stuff in my God's house. Look at verse number three. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. So, This was kind of the modus operandi back in those days of heathen kings. What they would do to subjugate the the, the lands that they were conquering is that they would take the children of the leadership. Can you imagine? They would kidnap the children of the king, the children of the important princes. Why? Because then, then they had leverage. Now I have leverage. You better pay your taxes. You better stay in line. You better serve us. We have your children. I mean, it was really an insidious way for Nebuchadnezzar to exercise control over the people of God. And that's what he does. Watch the children. Watch a description of the children whom he took. Verse number four. Children in whom was no blemish, uh, well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. We want the kids that have the highest potential. We want them with a high mental acumen. We want them to have keen social skills. We want them to be physically fit. I mean, we are looking for the best and the brightest why? Because we're going we're to use these children as raw material. Uh, we, don't, we don't want them to learn about their God or their country. We're going to totally brainwash them. We're going to make them tools for the state. Look at verse number five. <clears throat> and the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them Three years. So this whole program of indoctrination would be a three-year program. It would be a three-year program, and after the end of three years, there would be a final examination. And the final examination would be that all of these children would stand before the king himself. Now think about how high level that must have been. Think about how high level this program must have been in order for the final examination to be for these children to stand before the king and for the king to do an oral examination of what they have learned. It says in verse number five, 
Uh, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now, among these, so there were many. There were, there were many in this program. But among them, we, we, know, we know four by name. But there were many. And can I say this? This probably was a program that Nebuchadnezzar had not just for Judah. Don't, don't think that Judah was some special project for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar didn't know that Judah was any different than any other nation. No, they had, they had taken over many nations. So this was a boarding school, no doubt, for the best of the brightest from many different countries. And so Daniel and the others were among many children who were in the process of indoctrination. And the Bible says in verse number 6, Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Of course, we know the, the latter three better by their names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look at verse number 7. Unto whom, and here it is, the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. And I think that you probably, especially you pastors, have studied this passage, and you know that each one of those names, now instead of, instead of pointing to the true God, point to the various gods of Babylon. Uh, look at verse number 8. Last verse I'll read for now. But Daniel... We know the verse. But Daniel purposed. Purpose. That's a, it's a heartfelt resolution. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word. We're grateful for the Word of God and how it speaks on the inside. We take even note now that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. Lord, I pray that you would show us tonight, show us us, Show us things through the lens of your word, the microscope of your word. Show us things about ourselves that we don't even see. Help us to see what you see. Lord, I pray that this well-known Bible story would not be tuned out flippantly. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to look at it again with a new set of glasses. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher in, these, in this hour. I pray that he would illuminate to us the truth. I pray that he would show us those things that we desperately need to see. Lord, I pray for the country of Australia. God, I pray that you would raise up men and women, teenagers of influence in these dark days. Oh, Lord, I know that other nations are represented in this room. And so, Lord, whatever a country you have placed us in, in the bounds of our habitation, I pray, God, that you would make us people of influence. For Jesus' sake, amen.
The Bible calls Christians, disciples, salt. You know that. Salt and light. One of the most intense messages Jesus ever preached about discipleship was found in Luke chapter 14. And among other principles in that message, Jesus said, you might want to think twice about being a disciple. You, you want to think about building that tower. Better think through it because you don't want to get halfway done. If you're halfway done and people see uh, your life halfway done, it's really going to mock. It's going to be a mockery to your testimony because halfway is counterproductive. Don't go halfway in your devotion to God. Don't go halfway in your service. Don't go halfway in your commitment. Why? Because halfway is counterproductive. Or like a king that's going to go to war. He, he wants to understand, uh, do I have enough to fight this war? Uh, am I able to? I want to count the cost, remember? And then he said, as a concluding thought to that message in Luke 14, he said, salt is good. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is good for nothing except to be cast under the feet of men. You ever think about that? So if salt has lost its savor, how do you salt salt? How do you salt salt? You can't salt salt. If a salt has lost its saltiness, it ceases to be what salt is. And my question is, if we are salt, we are salt. And if we have lost our influence, then where does the influence for God come from? It's a rhetorical question that the Lord asks. Nowhere. The Bible says we're really good for nothing then. If you have no influence for Christ, you're good for nothing. That's a sad commentary. So let's talk about tonight, how can we be people of influence? Because certainly, of all the people in the Bible... Daniel is among the most shining examples of what it means to be an influence for God. You think about it. I want to talk about three aspects of Daniel's life. There's more. There's more. But three. Three tonight for sake of time. If we study the book of Daniel, you'll know that, notice that Daniel chapter, chapters 1 through 6, that's Daniel's story. Daniel's chapters 1 through 6. 1, 2, 4, 5, and 6. Those are Daniel's story. That's Daniel's story. Chapter 3, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 1, 2, 4, 5, and 6. That's Daniel's story. Now, 7 through 12, those are Daniel's prophecies. And we learn much from them. We won't talk about them tonight. So in Daniel's story, what can we learn about being a, a person of influence? What, what can we learn about people that make a difference in their generation for God? What can we learn about people that uh, are dealt incredibly poor circumstances, and yet in those circumstances still make a profound impact for the cause of God. Oh, what can we learn from this man? Because the Bible says whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. And so one of the reasons why God gave us Daniel's story in the Bible is that you and I would learn from him. That's the stated purpose of the Bible, Romans 15 and verse 4. I take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. And so James told us we ought to take for an example Daniel. 
We ought to study him. We ought to think about him. We ought to contextualize his story into ours. Why? Because that's the way by which we can be used of God in our generation as influencers. Because if you're not an influencer for the cause of Christ, Jesus said that we're good for nothing. How do you salt salt? So let's talk about being a person of influence. Would you notice with me, first of all, this morning, uh, that Daniel was a man of purpose? Now, you know that. and We've all preached that. I suppose everybody in a Tuesday night meeting at a uh, revival service or a Bible conference service like this, uh, I'm talking to uh, mature believers. I know that. I know I'm talking to fellow ministry servants tonight. I know I'm talking to many people that have preached this passage of Scripture. And I know that. I'm aware of that. Matter of fact, that intimidates me a little bit. You know why? Because when you preach to preachers, preachers never listen. Okay? <laughs> now, you, you lay people, you're listening tonight. But preachers, you're not listening. Preachers don't listen. Uh, they they, they kind of listen with one ear. Uh, they, they, they listen with one ear. They're saying, you know, I wonder if I can change the title and preach this myself. Okay? <laughs> And then with the other ear, they're looking for some theological problem. So they can say, yeah, Skelly was off, okay? <laughs> Could you please turn off both of those ears <laughs> and just get a third ear tonight and just listen to what the Holy Spirit can say through this message. Men of purpose. Uh, Daniel was a man of purpose. I want you to think about a couple things when it comes to his purpose. First of all, think about the challenges that Daniel faced. Think about the challenges that Daniel faced. Can you imagine... Can you imagine being a young man living in those days? I mean, Daniel was probably about 12 years of age when he was taken captive. About that. About 12. Now, I don't know if we have any 12-year-olds here tonight. I'm looking around. I see maybe a couple that would be about that age. But think about that. 12 years of age. Something like that. And understand this, that just a few years before, a good king Josiah had died. And Josiah was a good king. Josiah was a, a great king. Josiah had led the nation in a revival. And although it was primarily external, uh, there were people that were turning back to God. And, and although uh, it was external, at least the word of God had been rediscovered. And there seemed to be a, a, at least a, a move toward God. And, and good preachers were preaching. Jeremiah, one of them, and I mentioned Habakkuk and, and Zephaniah. And Daniel uh, was there during those days. And it seemed as if things were getting a bit better. Uh, for the people of God. And so Daniel, uh, age 12, but, but one day, uh, God allowed the army of Nebuchadnezzar to come. And one day, can you imagine this? One day, you're Daniel. You're in your home, and one day the soldiers show up. You're Daniel. One day, the soldiers forcibly take you from your home. Moms, dads, can you imagine that? Can you imagine some foreign entity coming in some uh, false god-worshipping, evil, uh, uh, evil person coming to your house and kidnapping your children. And watch this. You will never see them again. Daniel left his home and he never saw his mother or father again. Never did. He never saw Jerusalem again. He never saw the temple of God again. He never participated in the religious worship of God again. I mean, Daniel was taken, and that was it. You talk about a challenge. We were talking in the podcast before, and 
uh, the, the guys were interviewing us about TNS uh, coming up next week and, and asking us questions like, you know, hey, uh, Dean, Kurt, you know, how do you guys do it? You know, with all the travel you do and all the airplanes and uh, the delays, how do you do it? And I said, yeah, it's really tough. You know, they ought to put an extra chapter in Fox's Book of Martyrs for us. <laughs> because there's times when my flight has been delayed. I mean, there's been times when my flight is canceled and I've had to sit in the aer airport lounge <laughs> and drink the free coffee. I mean, it's really, really tough. You know, but I'm sure there's a special crown in heaven. for. I mean, you think about the problems we have, first world problems. I mean, Daniel had problems. It was more than a flight delay, right? Daniel was kidnapped from his home and taken away, but it got worse. It got worse. When Daniel arrived in Babylon, didn't know what was going to happen. Had no clue. He's just around a bunch of people that don't speak his language. Evil, gruff uh, soldiers. And then he's taken to Babylon. And when he gets to Babylon, he undergoes an intense educational indoctrination. An intense educational indoctrination. That's exactly what the world wants. They want your children. The world wants your children. Why? Because as bends the twig, so grows the tree. And I don't know what the climate is in Australia, but I can tell you this. Uh, it's pretty sad in the United States. And we have an educational system that is bent upon, uh, bent upon uh, indoctrinating children with secular humanism. Uh, there is no God. There's, uh, there, there are lifestyles that ought to be embraced that are anti-Bible. And I'm telling you, it's not fair. They don't play fair. I mean, from the time they're three and four years old, the cartoons on television, uh, the video games that they play, uh, the entertainment sources that we give our children, uh, the educational system, it's just a full-scale satanic attack on our children. I think it's happening here, too. It's an educational indoctrination. And uh, erosion will do what explosion never does. It's day after day after day after day after day after day after week after week after week after year after year. Uh, they don't want to just tell your kids what to think. They want to teach them how to think. They want to teach your kids how to think. And they're in it for the long game. They're in it for the, the long haul. And that's exactly what happened with Daniel. He was exposed to an educational indoctrination camp. That's exactly what it was. But not only was it educational indoctrination, let me be very careful about how I give you this next challenge. Not only was it educational indoctrination, but it was, it was a gender re-identification. Don't miss what I'm about to say. The battle we're fi fighting right now in the 21st century with sexual identity is a battle that has been fought for since man became a sinner. And understand that one of the ways by which Babylon controlled its slaves was to force them to become eunuchs. Now, I know that we don't like to talk about this with our modern day sensibilities, but Daniel was in the school of the prince of the Eunuchs. So a eunuch was one who was, had a physical surgery to alter his capacity to do the things that men can do. Is that soft enough explanation? Can, can, I, can I get a little bit deeper and say 
Can you imagine being a 12-year-old boy and brought into a room one day with some kind of a makeshift butcher doctor without anesthesia? And so we're going to change your life today. That was Daniel. And by the way, if a boy became a eunuch before he reached puberty, then he would never grow facial hair. Because of his hormonal levels, he, his voice would never change. He would always remain effeminate. And that's exactly what Babylon wanted. They wanted someone they could trust with the harem. They wanted somebody that wouldn't reproduce. They wanted somebody entirely focused on serving them. And that was Daniel. Daniel never had a wife. He never had a child. He dealt his whole life with this identity that was given to him. Now, it wasn't what he embraced. He didn't become a different gender. He didn't, he didn't identify differently. He was a man's man. But if you were to encounter Daniel today as an adult, you would say, that is an effeminate guy. The way he would, no, no doubt the way they dressed him, no doubt the way he talked, no doubt how he looked. I'm telling you, society wants to mess with the nuclear definitions. Yeah. But when I was a kid, back in the 1970s, 1980s, when I was a kid, back when Dean Miller was my older brother, <laughs> he warned me about this stuff. No, no, back when I was a kid, it was, it was fighting on what, what's a family. Remember that? We were all up in arms. Society is trying to redefine what a family is. And we thought that that was the battle. Oh, we lost that battle. And then it was, what, what's a marriage? What is a marriage? And then we lost that battle, at least in the States we did. And then we thought, well, well, I mean, how could it go any deeper than that? Now it's, what's a person? I mean, think about if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And make no mistake about it, the devil is going for the foundation. He's going right for the heart of it. And here's Daniel undergoing educational indoctrination. Here's Daniel going through an attempted sexual re-identification. Wow. Here's Daniel who's undergoing a full-scale attack at a different religious affiliation. Do you know that the reason why they fed them the way they fed them, it wasn't a matter of, of health per se. It wasn't that, okay, uh, we, we, have a, we have a diet that's more healthy for you. I, that was part of it. They really believed that. But it was more than that. And, and, and I'll just say this. Uh, Jewish dietary laws aside, if you give me a choice between a salad and a steak... I'm taking the steak every time. Can I get an amen right there? Okay? Absolutely. Okay? But Daniel understood some things. And Daniel understood that diet was a big part of identifying with God. He understood the Levitical law that diet was a way by which to identify with God. Now, I don't have to understand why God told me all the things he told me, but it's right there in the Bible. And I, I'm not going to concede on small things. 
See, uh, da Daniel uh, flew his flag up really early in his life and said, if I can see it on small things now, I'll concede on big things later. I'm going to draw my line in the sand right now at age 12. Right now at age 12, I'm going to draw the line right here. And it might be uh, the choice between a steak and a salad. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to honor God right now. And he did. You know that eating back in those days was part of the worship. Even in the New Testament, remember, that was the big issue with meat. Uh, especially in Corinth and other places where people have been saved out of uh, all these false religions where they had offered meat unto idols and, and then uh, they kind of had a conscience about, I can't eat that meat. That meat was offered to idols and, and I associate my eating with that idol. And Paul said, well, if you don't have a conscience for it, then you ought not eat that. Why? Because eating was a part of worship. And what they were trying to do is they were trying to, to inculcate their gods into Daniel's life every single day. Every single day. A day by day, day, his daily portion. And that's the way the devil works every single day. Every, he doesn't take a day off every single day trying to get your passions and your loyalties to go his way, not God's. Daniel faced that every single day. Can I just say that the challenge that Daniel faced was a challenge of radical, a radical identity change. That that's what they were wanting. They wanted a radical identity change. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. We've taken you from that. That's the weak people that we stole you from. That's the weak people we stole the things from that, that temple. That God doesn't exist. Those people are weak. You're ours now. You're ours now. And kind of as the coup de grace, they said, and we don't want you having that, 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 that crazy old name, Daniel. That speaks to your God. No, no, that's not your name anymore. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. Let me tell you who you are. You're Belteshazzar. That, 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 that was an honor to their God, one of their gods. This is who you are. You know, the devil can't invent anything new. He just borrows from God's playbook. Yeah. You know what God says about you? God says, this is who you are. Amen. You're my son. Yes. You're my child. I, I've made you my child by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not what you've done. It's what I've done for you. This is now act like who you are. Amen. See, uh, the, God understands the importance of identity. It's about who you are, who I am in Christ. And when you embrace who you are, then you can live like who you are by the power of God's Holy Spirit. But what the devil does, he said, no, no, that's not who you are. This is who you are. And can I just say this? Your feelings don't define you. There might even be some young person in this room that struggles with what we would call same-sex attraction. Do you know that that's a legitimate temptation? Sometimes people have. But that doesn't mean that you're a homosexual. That means you have a temptation. And temptations don't define who you are. Desires don't define who you are. God defines who you are. Act like who you are, not like who you were. That's the point. The point is the world wants to say, every bad desire you have, that's who you are. No, that's not who you are. That, that's, that, that's, that's the world, the flesh, that's the devil. No, God defines you. Now act like who you are. Such were some of you. You're washed, you're sanctified. Act like who you are in Jesus Christ. And Daniel never forgot who he was. You know what's interesting? Daniel wrote the book. Huh, what's a good title for the book? Daniel. <laughs> and by the way, read the book. I... Daniel, 
And every day of his life, nobody called him that. Every day of his life, nobody called him that. Every piece of mail he got said, Belteshazzar. Every meeting he went to, Belteshazzar. Everyone that greeted him, Belteshazzar. No, they told him over and over and over and over and over again, this is who you are. This is who you are. But Daniel said, no, no, no. I know who I am. I know who I am. Well, that's, well, that's us. We live in these societies and they say, no, this is who, no, that's not who I am. I am whom God declares me to be. This is my beloved son. Well, you better know who you are in this dark society of ours. The challenges he faced. Watch the choice he made. The choice he made was a a biblical choice. Uh, I purpose in my heart, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. It was a biblical choice. It was a respectful choice. He wasn't obnoxious. He went to the prince of the eunuchs and said, listen, I I really shouldn't be eating this. Would it be okay? And you know what the prince of the eunuchs said? No. Read it. The prince of the eunuchs said, no, no, that's not okay. I'm not going to jeopardize my position to the king. No. So Daniel said, well, at least I tried. No. Daniel just went to the next person, Melzar. The prince of the eunuchs, he was like the headmaster of the school, but he went to Melzar, kind of a, his teacher, and said, Melzar, hey, what about this? What about a 10-day trial? What about just a 10-day? Hey, you won't look bad, but you might look good. Can we just try this? And God had brought him into favor. And what happened? He allowed it. You know the rest of the story. Three years. Daniel was able to honor God. After three years, he went in for final examinations. He stood before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar asked questions and asked questions and asked questions and asked questions. All the people in the school asked questions. He said, man, I'll tell you what, this guy and this guy and that guy and that guy, they're better than everybody. Matter of fact, they're 10 times better than anybody else in the whole school. No, it was a biblical choice, right? It was a respectful choice. It was a profitable choice. And it's always profitable Regardless of what the odds seem like, it's always profitable to do what God says. It's not your job to figure it out. It's your job just to obey God. My, how we need men and women of purpose. But watch this, number two, quickly. Men of purpose, women of purpose, people of purpose. Ultimately, people of influence. But there's a second quality I see about Daniel in Daniel chapters 1 through 6. And I see it in chapter 2. I see it in chapter 4. And I see it in chapter 5. And it's, it, it's this word, ready? Daniel was a man of perception. Daniel was a man of perception. He was a man of purpose. We see that in chapter 1. But he was a man of perception. Hey, do you want to make, do you want to be influential in this dark world? Do you want God to use you? Do you want your soul to be salty? Do you want that? Well, if you do, then you need to be a person of perception, a person that sees things, watch this, uh, sees things that even the smartest people in this world can't see. A person that understands things that even the smartest people and the most powerful people in this world can't see. Understand there's a big difference between wisdom and intelligence. There's some really smart people that you work with, really smart people that you live near. And really powerful people that you interact with. I'm going to tell you, but one Bible-believing Christian knows more. Because we have a perception that God has let us in on that they don't know. 
And God gives us the responsibility to lend that perception to a lost and dying world. And that's exactly what Daniel did in three really profound situations. Number one, in Daniel chapter two, the king has a dream. You know the story. Have you ever had a dream that was so vivid and you woke up in the morning, you thought, man, that dream was so real. But then you couldn't remember the dream. Has that happened to you? That's happened to me. It's like, I know I dreamed something. And I wake up and it's like, I know I had a vivid dream. I can't remember what it was. And that's what happened to the king. The king had this dream that troubled him. It was so vivid. And he said, I know that that dream was some kind of communication from some kind of an entity out there. But I can't remember what the dream was, let alone what it meant. So he puts out the word to all the wise men in the country and says, listen, I want some wise man to tell me what I dreamed and what it means. Well, these wise men are like, well, king, we, we can't do that. No, no, that's, that's impossible. That's, that, 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 no, nobody can to do this. Just tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. Yeah, I think of our wise men that day. I'll tell you what it means. I'll figure out something, right? But to tell you what the dream was, well, they couldn't do it. The king got so mad, he said, okay, here's my, here's my order. Kill all the wise men. I would not have wanted to be a wise man in those days. Not only kill them, but make their house a dunghill. I'm not sure all that that means, but that didn't sound good, okay? <laughs> so in the process of rounding up all the wise men, they go to Daniel's house. And Daniel said, what's the issue? And Arioch says, well, the issue is the king is rounding up all the wise, wise men. You're, you, you, you boys are among the wise men, so we're rounding you guys up, and it looks like uh, you're not going to live too long. And Daniel said, well, uh, what's the issue? He said, well, he had this dream, and he wants to know what the dream was, and he wants to know what it means. Daniel said, oh, okay. Well, I don't know what it was, and I don't know what it would mean, but, but God does. So let me just go talk to the king, and give me some time, and I'll figure this thing out. So He does. And the king gives him a little space of time. He goes back and gets with his friends. And gets, guess what they do? They pray. Lord. And God lets him know in a night vision, here's what it means. He said, thank you, Lord. So he goes back and says to the king, I, I know what your dream means. He goes, oh, you're so wise. No, 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 I, I'm, I'm stupid. I don't know anything. But my God is wise. My God is wise. My God knows everything. You know, this is not about me. It's about him. And let me tell you what your dream is, okay? You had a dream that you saw this big image. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar's like, yeah. Yeah, that was the dream. And, and the head was gold. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was it. Yeah. And then the, the, the chest is silver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all coming back to me now. And then the, the waist and the loins, that was brass. Mm-hmm. And the and legs were iron. And then the feet were like a mixture of iron and clay. And that's the dream. And what does it mean? Oh, okay, here's what it means. You, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Yep. Matter of fact, he got so full of himself that he made a whole image out of gold the next chapter. Right? I don't want to just be the head. He said, but after you. Oh, wait a minute, after you? So already the implication is, you're going to be done one day. Oh, after you, another kingdom arises. Your kingdom's going to be gone one day. So already, Daniel's speaking to the temporality of this world power. There's going to be a, a, another kingdom. 
And indeed there was, right? The Medo-Persian kingdom. And then there's going to be another kingdom. The Grecian Empire, then another kingdom. The Roman Empire, then another kingdom. The revived Roman Empire. And, uh, but none of those kingdoms are going to stand. None of them are going to stand because there's going to be a stone cut out without hands. Like a mountain. And guess what that's going to happen? He's going to smash all the kingdoms. Amen. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So think about what Daniel is telling the king. Hey, king, here's your dream. Here's who you are. But it's all going to come crashing down one day. All of it. The king, I don't think, thought through all the implications. He just thought, wow, he got it. Let's make him really, really important. So Daniel got a big promotion. The king went back to work, working on his idol, right? That's dream number one. Dream number two. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar gets a, a, another lesson in, in chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Be, be, behold, I, I see the fourth like unto the Son of God. Right? Remember that whole thing? I mean, God in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, all he's doing is trying to get the king's attention. But he's so full of himself, he's not listening. So chapter 4, chapter 4, the king has another dream. Now, this guy needs to quit sleeping. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> or quit eating pepperoni pizza before he goes to bed. Something. <laughs> He has another dream. This time, thankfully, he remembers his dream. And here's the dream. He dreams that this big tree grows up. Huge tree. Remember, the tree is so big, it covers the whole world. That's a big tree. Not as big as that tree right there, but big tree. At least it's not rock music, but uh, big tree. And in, in, this big tr in this big tree, all the beasts of the field come and live under this tree. All the bees and all the birds in all the world live in this tree. And the fruit of this tree feeds every living thing on earth. It's a huge tree. And then the watchers come down. It just makes me nervous saying that the watcher, the watchers come down from heaven, like these angels that are kind of watching over the affairs of men. And they look at this big tree and they say, cut it down, cut the tree down. So Nebuchadnezzar is dreaming the stream, and this big tree that covers the whole world gets cut down. And the only thing that's left is a stump. All the beasts run away. All the birds fly away. All the fruit falls to the ground. And it's just one stump. And the stump is just there for seven years. The dew gathers on the stump. Seasons pass. Seasons come. Seasons go. And it's just a stump of a tree. Daniel says, you want to know what that means? Nebuchadnezzar yeah, that's why you're here. He goes, well, I have no clue, but God knows. So let me tell you what God told me to tell you. You're the tree. I knew it. <laughs> you're that tree. And you rule the whole world, Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody relies upon you. Guess what? God's watching. You know what God says? Cut them down. But he's going to let you live like a stump. You're going to be that stump. And for seven years, your nails are going to grow long like eagle's claws. Your, your, your hair is going to grow long and matted. And you're going to find out, Nebuchadnezzar, you're not nearly as big and powerful as you think you are. And after seven years, God's going to show you, you need him a lot more than he did, that you think he needs you. And you're going to come to yourself. And guess what happens? All of that. 
And, and oh, this is interesting. Read the passage. Daniel says, so my advice to you, my advice to you, Nebuchadnezzar, is, you know, honor God. Quit being so full of yourself. Nebuchadnezzar says, okay. Right? And the Bible says for 12 months, for 12 months, he like minds his peace and cues. For 12 months, he's, he's really like humble. And, uh, but then after 12 months one day, I don't know, he just said didn't have his coffee that morning or something. I don't know. But he walked into Babylon one day and said, Woo, Babylon, look at these hanging towers, hanging gardens of Babylon. Wow, I am hot stuff. Look at all of what I have done. You know what happened that day? God made him crazy. And he went out and lived in the field for seven years until he knew that God ruleth over the kingdoms of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. You're not so special, Nebuchadnezzar. And guess what happened? Nebuchadnezzar got, to put it in a New Testament soteriological sense, Nebuchadnezzar got saved. You know that Nebuchadnezzar wrote part of Daniel. The Aramaic part, he wrote it. He's a holy man of old. You're going to meet Nebuchadnezzar in heaven one day. Okay, he's got a little shack, okay, in heaven. But he'll be there. He'll be there. Look at this shack I built, okay? Yeah, I mean, he's still struggling, but he's there. <laughs> chapter number five. I'm almost done. So in chapter number five, Nebuchadnezzar is dead. He's in heaven. Nebuchadnezzar has a son. The Bible doesn't really talk about him. And his son has a son. So the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, we're fast forwarding now years. Daniel came to Babylon in 605. Now it's 539. Wow. Right? What's that? 61, 66 years later. So if Daniel was 12, he's 78 years old now. He's, he's an old man. Everyone has forgotten about him. Babylon is right back to her old ways. Nebuchadnezzar and his proclamation that God is the God that has long been passé. And now his grandson rules. His name is Belshazzar. And Belshazzar is like a chip off the old block. He holds this big feast in Babylon. It's so big, a thousand people show. Uh, the, the VIP list is a thousand people. They're sitting at the tables at this feast and they're all getting drunk. And Belshazzar really wants to impress his guests. So he says, hey, bring in the vessels from the house of the God of Judah. Bring those gold vessels in. So they bring in these special vessels, sanctified for the master's use. And they pour their wine in. They drink that, that, the wine out of God's cups. Well, you better not mess with God. You pick a fight with him, you lose every time. And Belshazzar was saying, in your face. Do you know what God did? God came down in the form of a finger. Remember that? Because all it takes is one of God's fingers to rule the world. <laughs> right? And it comes down, and all of a sudden, Belshazzar is not thirsty. <laughs> and God begins to write on the wall. He begins to write on the wall in a language no one understands. Mine, mine, tekel, eupharsin. They said, we don't know what that means, but we don't think it's good. So the queen says, King, uh, oh, King, live forever. I know you kind of get upset, but I know there's somebody, a really old man who's in our kingdom that can interpret dreams. Should I call him? Yes. So in comes Daniel. In comes Daniel, out of retirement, right? 
He comes in. Can you tell us what this means? Yep. Mine, mine. God says, your days are numbered. Tekel, you farson. The kingdom is divided. So in other words, time's up. You lose. Mini, mini, tekel, you farson, or pires. Okay, that means uh, your kingdom is given to another. Watch this. Time's up. You lose. Goodbye. That's the skelly version. Time's up. You lose. Goodbye. So what's Daniel doing? Again, he's bringing the word of God to bear upon a generation that doesn't understand it. You know what your job is in Australia? Your job is to bring the word of God to bear upon a generation that doesn't understand it. They're so smart. They think they're so powerful. They think they're so in control. But I'm going to tell you something. People need the God of the Bible. And they're not going to understand him until you tell them. It's our job to bring the perception of God upon the affairs of this world. We're the strangers. We're the pilgrims. We don't belong here. We are Daniel. This is not our country. We are here. God has put us here. And we are to be people of perception. People of purpose. People of perception. But watch this lastly, and I'll just mention this one. Obviously, and you know the answer already. People of prayer. Okay, now we won't turn there. But in Daniel chapter 6, here's what happened. By the way, that night, time's up. Right? Time's up. Uh, you lose. Goodbye. Remember? Guess what happened? As Daniel was uttering that prophecy, the Medo-Persian Empire was sneaking into Babylon through the sewer system. That very night, that very night, Belshazzar died. That very night, Babylon was taken over. That very night, the Medo-Persian Empire came to rule over the world. That's the silver, remember? They're there now. And Darius, he's the head of the Medes. And Cyrus, he's the head of the Persians. And Cyrus is kind of over all of it. But Darius is over the section where Daniel is. And Darius and likes Daniel. And all of a sudden, Dan, like the, all the Babylonians, uh, Babylonians, they're done. But Daniel, I'm going to hire you. Right? And what happens? Daniel becomes one of the chief presidents of, the, 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 of media, of the, of the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire. Think about that. And at the same time that Daniel becomes the president of the Medo-Persian Empire, one of the three presidents of the Medo-Persian Empire, Cyrus issues a decree that Isaiah 200 years before said he would issue and called him by name that the people of God can now go back to Jerusalem. So here's Belshazzar one day saying, oh, I'm going to use your cups. And God says, no, I want my cups back. <laughs> right? Yeah. I want my cups back. And Cyrus says, take the cups back. And so now 49,000 people with Zerubbabel, like the grandson of Jeconiah, they're going back. And guess what Daniel's doing? He's opening his window. See, I, re I remember hey. when I was a little boy yep. and they took me. And God, I'm never going to make it back there, but they are. Yeah. And God, I've been praying for this day for a long time. 
yes, Daniel, there's a new law. You're not allowed to pray anymore. Okay. Noted. <laughs> See, that was the habit of his lifetime. That was the habit of his lifetime. That was the secret to his power. You know what? I've never been married. I've never had children. I've dealt with this identity crisis my whole life. I never saw my mom and dad. But I never lost sight of God. I never lost sight of God. God, I've been praying for this day. And by the way, the day for which you're praying, it's coming. And one day, all things will be made new. Amen. And one day, the new Jerusalem will come out of heaven from God. And one day, all sickness and all pain and all sorrow and all evil and all be gone. Amen. And one day, we who feel so displaced so weird in this society of ours. One day we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ from Jerusalem. It's real. And God has put us here for now in Babylon to make a difference as people of purpose, as people of perception, as people of prayer. Father, thank you for the wonderful blessing that Daniel is to us. Here we are talking about him. We're talking about him. 2,600 years after he lived and died, we're talking about him. Lord, may people talk about our influence. Lord, may we live our lives with such reckless abandon for Christ that we make a difference in our respective nations as he did. Oh God, help us to be people of influence. Oh God, tonight, I pray for teenagers tonight that are tempted to walk away from church and God and the Bible. Oh God, may they see there's no life that matters but the life lived for Jesus. Lord, for that wavering Christian tonight, oh God, would you solidify his heart? Would you rekindle his passion? Tonight, would you help us to be salt again? Salt that has savor. Salt that makes a difference in a world in which it comes in contact. Lord, for my friends, my fellow pastors, oh God, would you encourage all of us tonight in the short time that we have. As Brother Jason alluded, you might come any day. Oh God, may we be found faithful. Windows open toward Jerusalem. Please, God. Our heads are bowed, our, our eyes are closed for just a moment. You heard a tremendous message tonight about praising God. Tremendous. God deserves our praise. But you know, God also deserves our prayer. God, change our nation. God, bring revival. God, show yourself strong. God, help me to stay faithful. Oh God, give me divine perception to speak into the affairs of our society. Oh God, make me an influence. That's all that matters in these short days that we call life. In a moment, we're going to stand together. Our, our musician will play. Can I invite you to just to come to an old-fashioned altar tonight? Can I invite you to come and pray? Open your window toward Jerusalem tonight. Just open it. And say, God, I don't know what this life will bring me. But God, I do know this. 
Oh God, I do know this. I want to be an influence for Christ. Oh God, would you bless this invitation? Please God, for your honor and glory we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Some have come. Would you come join them tonight? And let's just, as one big congregation tonight, praise and pray to God. Make us an influence. You come tonight. Just take your time, please, at the altar. This is why we do conferences like these. Oh, God, tonight, help us to be purposeful in big ways and small ways. Little victories at the workplace. Little measures of commitment at the schoolhouse help us to purpose. Lord, may we not question your sovereignty, the pain and the distress of Daniel's situation. Oh God, help us to know that you are in control and you've placed us strategically where we are for your purposes. May we be faithful. Give us a sense of wisdom, God. Help us to speak into the lives of those that live in darkness. Oh, God, tonight, may we have our windows open, unabashedly, unashamedly, serving Jesus Christ. Please, God.